This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thank you for taking the time again to join me on today as we talk about all things UX. And by all, I do mean all. <laughs> and welcome those of you. You're listening for the very first time. We're very glad that you took time out of your schedule. And as always, we hope to bring you something of value that will vault you forward in your understanding of UX, in your UX journey, in your building your career, whatever it might be today. Uh, For those of you that might be new to the podcast, uh, we do not take the time all the time. I should say, let me rephrase what I was about to say. We don't limit ourselves to talking about how to do the work as this particular topic that I'm covering right now is exemplifying to a great extent. We're talking about and we're continuing our series today on emotional intelligence and UX. And of course, we've got a subtopic and we'll introduce that in a moment. But folks, when you're doing UX, it's not just about the work. You could talk about sitemaps. You could talk about uh, uh, prototypes. You could talk about wireframes. You could talk about design systems. You could talk about a whole lot of different things. But folks, there is an underlying element in the world of UX that is so critical to what we do, and it involves that of soft skills, and more specifically, it's associated with emotional intelligence, which we call EQ for short. Somebody would say that's emotional quotient. Uh, We use them interchangeably. So uh, sometimes we say EQ because we just need to shorthand it. So, but in being specific about EQ, there are, you can look on the market and we've been sharing this. We've been doing some recap. We're going to recap again today, just a little bit that when you look at books on the market about EQ, you'll find that most authors usually talk about four different things with regard to EQ. And my favorite author, Adele Lynn, she goes a step further and she mentions five things. So before we dive into our subtopic for today, let's recap the top five elements. Yes, these are critical. These are our foundational elements. And I'm going to be sharing with you my model because I go further than that. And uh, I'll give you the subtopic now. Today, we're going to be talking about under the radar EQ traits, things that are associated with EQ that you're going to find that when you think these things through, when you think about how they apply, they help to make us better in the work that we do. It helps us to drive more value when it comes to user experience. It helps us to engage. It helps us to build relationships. It helps us to fill any gaps because folks, everybody doesn't understand what we do. Folks don't understand what we do as UX people. And so how do we fill that gap? EQ is a big part of it. If we don't learn how to communicate, if we don't build relationships, if we don't understand things from the perspectives of others, 
no matter how good your work is, no matter how great of an example or how wonderful the artifacts are that you produce, you're not going to get anywhere. So we need this. If we want to have strong, viable UX teams, we need more emotional intelligence. If we're going to get along with those, those volatile and hostile people, yeah, they're out there and there's a lot of them. There are people that will try to tell us how to do our job and don't know a thing about it. They read three articles and now they're experts in their minds. That's, you know, we joke about that, but some of you know, it's not really a joke. It really does happen out there. EQ was the thing that gets us through. EQ was the thing that helps us to remain grounded. EQ was the thing that helps us to grow as individuals. So that's it. Here are the five, and I want to spend a lot of time here because I've got a relatively long list. I've got nine things to share with you beside these. So recap of the top five. Here we go. Self-awareness and self-control, the ability to fully understand yourself and to use that understanding to manage yourself in a productive manner. Already sounds great, right? You can almost drop the microphone on that one (laughs) and walk off because it's so great, but there are five. Uh, empathy, the ability to understand things from the perspectives of others. If everything that you do is based on your perspective, if everything that you do is based on how you understand something, you're falling short when it, when it comes to empathy. And I've got to pause for the cause there. It's interesting how uh, I was in a conversation, lovely conversation, but someone asked me for my understanding about something and I had a hard time answering that question because it's not my understanding. It's uh, so the reason that I bring that up is because when you're trying to empathize and we do talk about understanding things from the perspectives of others, you want to make sure you, you really have digested that the right way because when somebody such as myself is relying on facts, if you're doing research that is void of bias, which we're going to address today as well, it's not really your perspective as much as it is the data that you uncovered. So I, I find it difficult to frame answers from a certain perspective when questions are asked of me a certain way. So just keep that something to, to sort of what we'll come back. I'm sure and we'll revisit that another time. Um, next social expertness, the ability to build genuine relationships, which we've, I was already hinted at a little bit and bonds and to express caring, concern and conflict in healthy ways. The ability to navigate relationships with people and do it in a way that's beneficial for all, not just for you. Number four, personal influence, the ability to positively lead and inspire others as well as yourself. So you want to be able to influence people, but not in a self a gratifying way, not in a selfish way, in the way that folks need to be influenced and empowered and instilled. And then number five, mastery of purpose and vision at work. The ability to bring authenticity, love that word, authenticity, all power to authenticity today, to one's life. Don't you want to be authentic? And to live out one's intentions and values. So really, having your guns, stick them to them, so to speak, standing your ground. In other words, the hypersensitive people will get upset because I mentioned guns. I don't like guns. It's a a figure of speech. Live with it. Deal with it. 
<laughs> so uh, these are the things, self-awareness and self-control, empathy, social expertness, personal influence, and mastery of purpose and vision at work. These are the core factors associated with a Dell Lens model of emotional intelligence. Now, today, Darren Hood, the guy on the podcast here, wants to talk to you about some other elements. And, and we, there may be some overlap. It's possible. I think when you, when you hear those five things and you break them down, you can break any one of them down in a, in a very broad way. And, and, and we're all for that, and that's all good. Uh, I'm going to present nine that I think build on those. And you may or may not see overlap with some of those five. Uh, I tend to think that you won't, uh, but just in case somebody does, you understand why. And I think it's important to call these nine things out. And and when I first created this list, I did it with UX in mind. You're going to find it applicable beyond doing UX work, but you're going to find it extremely, extremely critical when it comes to doing UX work. And one of the reasons why, or nine of the reasons, why? I think it's critically important to understand why these things are a part of what we do. And, and if you really want to excel in doing work as a UX professional, if you really want to take things to the limit, if you really want to, to function at the top of your game, it requires excelling in and, and being well-grounded in emotional intelligence. When we do that, man, the sky's the limit, folks. Sky's the limit. So you're ready for the nine. Number one on this list of under the radar EQ traits, curiosity. Curiosity. Yes, I associate that with emotional intelligence. The If you want to excel as a UX practitioner, when people tell you something, when you're conducting research, when you're talking to stakeholders, when you're learning about the requirements, curiosity is a factor that occurs naturally when you think about it. Now, it can be suppressed if you are, how can we say, um, you're apathetic, and that's we're going to talk about red flags soon too. When you are apathetic, you won't ask questions. When you're self-satisfied, you won't be curious. And, and, and I like sometimes I say curiosity and sometimes I say inquisitive. Uh, and, and I like to say inquisitive sometimes when I'm describing this step, this aspect of emotional intelligence, because we, we, we see the word curious. Inquisitive takes it up a few notches. And where you might be curious, but you may do nothing. When you're inquisitive, you dig beneath the surface. You're not satisfied with the information you got. You'll always think that there's something else. And so inquisitive, being inquisitive is a much higher form of curiosity. I don't know why I say that a lot, because it really draws you into doing more work. And if you do more work, if you get more inquisitive, you're going to find more answers. And when you find more answers and those answers are viable and practical, they drive you to do and accomplish more. Now, I think some people will already see why this is a part of EQ. When you have those other things in place, those five core elements, you're going to have the time you can afford 
to ask more questions and to delve deeper into things because the greater understanding you have, the more you can accomplish. Next, we have idealism, being idealistic. And some folks are going, okay, Darren, what, what is that? Well, I've got three definitions for you to consider. Definition number one, the pursuit of high ideals or noble principles. So this really has to do with being an extremely principled individual, but we can't, we, we, we don't want to take you down the road of ethics, although being ethical is a part of that, but it's not the, the main thing we're trying to communicate at this point. Definition number two is the act or practice of envisioning things in an ideal, hint, idealism, hint, hint, in an ideal and often an impractical form. So in other words, now you should be able to, I hope people will start to see how this overlaps into UX a bit. When we're trying to solve design problems, when we're trying to come up with solutions, a lot of times we're going to come up with multiple ideas. And the name of the game is, what's ideal? Now, if you're just existing as a UX practitioner and you're just coming up with ideals, and you're just trying to come up with these different types of solutions, but you're not really trying to examine it, analyze it to see whether or not what you've come up with is really ideal, see if it qualifies as being an ideal scenario, now you that's where ethics does come, in, come into play, and you're not really being idealistic. Is it ideal or is it just an idea? We, not, we must make sure that we know the difference, and... The end of that definition, often it's impractical. So in other words, we come up with an ideal situation without any concern for whether or not it's doable. Not yet. Eventually, yes, we will because we are bound by constraints. We understand that. We know that. But you'll never find out the best solution that you can drive for somebody if you are binding yourself by constraints too early in the design process. So we must be idealistic. I did mention three definitions, right? Here's definition number three, to advocate for a perfect or model outcome and then striving to make it a reality. So again, number two is being idealistic. Let's push the limit. That's the way I explain it to my stakeholders. I'm going to push for the limit and I'm going to let somebody else tell me where the constraints are. I'm going to let somebody else tell me, well, we really can't do that. And here's three viable reasons why. And over the course of my career, I've had a lot of people tell me we can't do something. And that's usually code in certain circles. That's code for, oh, we can, but we really don't want to. If I know that we can, but you don't want to, then that's when idealism kicks into high gear and I'm going to keep pressing because I know that if we can get this thing that I'm trying to prescribe done, that is a win for users, it's a win for the business, and it's a win for our UX team and the value that we drive in a given organization. So strive to be idealistic. Number three, we must be pragmatic. So pragmatism is is the third factor in my model, my add-on model, if you will for EQ, to deal with the problems that exist, your design problems, in a specific situation, in a reasonable and a logical way, instead of depending on ideas and theories. So again, just like we were talking about with being idealistic, you can have ideas, you can solve design problems, and then eventually the logic 
has to come into play. Eventually, the the constraints, as we mentioned, have to come into play. But the name of the game is we have all kinds of ideas, but we do, we must then settle on being practical. So we have to have an idea uh, uh, or an understanding, a commitment to settling upon that which is practical. Some people will push for the limit and then they become uh, uncompromising. Yes, and this is where compromising uh, lies in pragmatism in the sense that you eventually come to the knowledge at times that there's something we simply can't do. And if we can't do it, then let's let's work and, and confirm what can we do, what is practical, and then let's put our efforts into that. So be practical. Uh, in short, that's what pragmatism is, is being practical. So we don't want to be unrealistic. We don't want to be um, somebody who is just a pain to work with. We don't want to be that person that is will not compromise and will not settle for anything else. We have no choice but to settle for certain things at times. So make sure that you're ready to do that. That mentioned, the next one is being adaptable. Being in a position mentally, emotionally, uh, intellectually, being in a frame of mind that you can adapt to whatever the circumstances and the scenarios are dishing out. Now, again, you think about the self-awareness, think about the personal influence, think about the mastery of your purpose and vision at work. Think about being empathetic and understanding things from the perspective of others. When we are, when we have those things in play, the, the, here's one that where the overlap really comes in big time, I think, is that it really helps us to be adaptable so we can shift, shake, move, morph, if you will, with regard to whatever it is that we have to to work in, the, the conditions we have to work in, the situations we're dealing with in order to get the work done, to build relationships, whatever it may be. We need to be adaptable. Everything isn't going to go our way, but we need to be able to excel when it's going someone else's way. How, how much are you, how willing are you to excel when we have to do it someone else's way? Can you operate at 150%? Or are you going to pull back because you didn't get to to do what you wanted to do or or people shot your idea down? We have to excel no matter what. And for that reason, we can always adapt. We can always defer. I've had people get angry at me over the course of my career at times because I was willing to defer. I deferred because I knew in certain situations that this is the wisest and the most practical, the most amenable thing to do. So I deferred. And I had somebody tell me once, you can't defer. Uh, I can, and I just did. And we're going to to go with whatever's best for the team, and I'm going to have to shelve what I would want to do because I realize we can still be successful without that. If you're adaptable, you can do that. You can live outside of you. As we said last week, you, you have to get outside of yourself. Emotional intelligence helps us to get outside of self, to be void of self, to not be, be in the mind of serving ourself. Be, so again, self-gratifying, that's, that's a bad idea. That's a bad look. That's not in alignment with, with EQ, so be adaptable. Next one will sound really familiar to many. We need to be resilient. How many times have you experienced something where you feel like you've been knocked off your horse? 
How many times have you been in a situation where you simply were not happy, where you were completely floored, where you were blindsided, where things just did not turn out the way you thought they they did or should? Things turn out in a way that were completely opposite of what you had planned for and even the work that you did. Well, get up. <laughs> we need to we need to be resilient. If you get knocked down, if you get disappointed, if you get blindsided, if you get taken advantage of, if you get thrown under the bus or under the rug, get up. What happened, happened. It is what it is. The situation is what it is. But when you are really strong from an EQ perspective, one of the things we need to shoot for is that we are always resilient. No matter how many times you get knocked down, no matter how many times you fall off of the proverbial horse, the metaphorical horse, just get up. There's nothing stopping you. Just get up. Don't be like the kid in the in the department store that I'm pretty sure we've all seen at one point in time who's the really spoiled bratish kid that doesn't get their way and they just lay on the floor and won't get up and they just yell there and scream and embarrass their family and everything of that sort. Don't be that UXer. I've seen that UXer. Don't be that person. You're you're discrediting yourself, the practice, uh, everything. Just um, be, get up. If you fell down, get up. Next, and akin to that, be friendly. Now, that sounds really simple, doesn't it? But you got to be approachable. You need to be someone that is easy to talk to. You need to be someone who is who listens. You need to be someone that's not that take your ball and go home kind of person. We need to be friendly. Uh, UX needs to be an approachable discipline across the board by anyone. So be friendly. Don't be that antagonistic uh, enemy, somebody who's always... Uh, at someone's throat, somebody who's always fighting, things of that nature. Don't, don't know. Let, let's not be that. Let's be friendly. Let's be nice. Let's be approachable. Let's be courteous. Let's be kind. Things of that nature. And all of that comes with EQ. Next, and this one, <laughs> I know this one gets under some people's skin. Uh, I've talked about it before in some of my talks and people don't like it. And people talk about the, the opposite of what I'm about to say. But I'm telling you, it's a part of, of EQ, and we got to strive for it. We have to strive for all of these. You know how well you're doing with each one of these. Just make sure you strive accordingly. All right, ready? Seatbelt. People aren't going to like this. You're not going to get it when I first say it, some of us, but here we go. Neutrality. Neutrality is a part of EQ. What do I mean when I say neutrality? Oh, Darren, you said neutrality. That, that didn't bother me. Really? Here we go. Here's the breakdown. The quality or ability to refrain from taking a side. And you have to be genuine, authentic when you do it. You cannot take sides, whether it's a design, whether it's uh, a particular individual, whatever the case might be, we must be neutral. And the second part is the part that really gets under people's skin. In order to be neutral, you have to be void of bias. I have heard many people, I, I was at, I delivered a talk once on World Usability Day where a person in the morning told everybody that we all have biases and basically they said, you can't overcome them either. And I was already <laughs> on hand to give this same talk about the same subject later in that same day to let people know about this and how that 
in order to excel in UX, one must be self-aware. And if you are self-aware, that means you're aware of biases that will pop up from time to time in your own personal operation. And in order to excel at EQ, you must be neutral, which means that if a bias is triggered or a bias, you see a bias surfacing in your own attitude, in your own speech, in your own behavior, you have to shut it down. It takes a high level of maturity to recognize and to shut down one's biases. A lot of people feel this is impossible. Never mind that they haven't tried it before and never mind that they're not committed. Uh, people will, will say that something is not valid because they simply haven't done it or they don't want to do it. I'm telling you as one that has done it and one that does it on a regular basis, if you are game, if you're, if you're courageous enough, if you're emotionally intelligent enough, you can manage your own personal biases and the well-being of your design work is dependent upon that factor. Neutrality. Can you be neutral today? Two more and then we're done for today. You have to be perceptive. Perception is a key part of emotional intelligence. How good are you at it? We like to say sometimes reading the room. How good are you when you're conducting research and you see uh, a research participant doing something a particular way and you realize there's a need not to help them out, but even just recognizing that they see something, you, there's something going on, but they're not expressing themselves. That's when you become inquisitive and you ask a particular question so that you can get them to talk about that thing that you see happening on their face that's not coming out of their mouth. Perception. How, how often do you perceive there's a problem with the stakeholder? They don't really value what it is that you're doing. And so now don't get upset because they don't understand what you're doing. And maybe they're one of those volatile stakeholders that's really going to get in your face about what they don't understand. But when you're perceptive and you understand, maybe that's time to, to go a little further. You know what? Let me explain this a little bit more. Maybe there's something here that I could say to, to help everybody uh, to understand what it is we're trying to accomplish. If you can answer that question, perceive that there's an issue, and answer that question ahead of time, do you realize what that's going to do for your relationship with that stakeholder? Do you realize when you perceive the need to offer a little bit more substantiation for the work that you do, how much more viable your UX practice will be, how much more your team will be respected? Do you realize when you perceive that there's something wrong with a coworker where they need some more support or some more help, and then you go to bat and you help them, maybe somebody else is giving a presentation and maybe they're struggling or someone, a stakeholder might be giving them a hard time. You happen to be there to support and to listen. Well, let's, let's get to supporting. We've done enough listening. Once you perceive there's an issue, how many times... People under the sound of my voice right now, do you ever remember speaking up because you perceived something was about to go awry and then you supported it and everything was successful because of it? That was an EQ moment. And we need those. And so these things happen and we're going to grow. We're going to mature. But perception, yes, the more emotionally intelligent you are, the more perceptive you will be and the better off you and everybody else will be as a result. 
And then number nine, the last one in this list of under-the-radar EQ traits, mental agility. This is one that's akin to adaptability, but it's really about totally how you're thinking, the ability to shift on a dime willingly, genuinely. Remember, we can't be disingenuous. That's not... That's not EQ. That that's not an. When, anytime you're being disingenuous, you are not having an EQ moment. Let's let's no one understand that that's the case. But we need to have that mental agility where you see a gymnast and the way that they move and the way that they flip around and the way they can almost tie themselves in the knots. To those of us that don't do it, it seems like they're tying themselves in knots. We have to do the same thing. We have to be that agile. We have to be that flexible. We have to be that pliable. We have to be able to shift, move, but this is strictly, remember, about the way we think. So sometimes we have to be more adaptable or more more agile when we're dealing with someone else that maybe could be more rigid. And, And do you realize that sometimes we have to be, we have to operate in the world of the business, the very rigid business person And we have to lay all of our tools aside, so to speak. And the ability to adapt and the ability to be mentally agile is the thing that lends itself to our being successful. We need to be able to shift on a dime. We need to be able to pivot. Pivoting is adaptable and it's mental agility. These things are critical, folks. Let us drive today as we're about to sign off here now. We hope that these made sense to you. We hope that you understand the value behind them. Curiosity, idealism, pragmatism, adaptability, resilience, friendliness, neutrality, perception, and that mental agility. Again, the ability to be able to pivot when needed so that you can be successful in the work that you're doing to to shift and be, uh, have the right mental approach, the right mindset mentally, even sometimes we're being mentally agile with the way that we shift and, and, and realize that we need to maybe, maybe I'm being more assertive and maybe I need to pull back and be more passive for a few moments. Maybe that will help me and it'll help the team if I not be as active in this moment. But that's that mental agility more so than adaptability, trying to, to bring that the difference out between the two a little bit more. Folks, these are my nine. These are nine things that I see beyond the five that Adele Lynn talks about. When we embody these, these traits, they, they demonstrate, it helps us demonstrate that we are emotionally intelligent. When we recognize these traits and pursue them, recognize that we need these to, to optimize our success in UX, that's going to help drive us, folks, and we're going to enjoy the ride. Got it? All right, I certainly hope so. We will pick up on this topic next week, we need to spend some time talking about EQ red flags, things that if you see these things in you or someone else, there is an EQ problem. And now it takes EQ to manage that scenario. Can't wait to share those with you. Uh, and for those of you who who uh, do listen to these on a weekly basis, I'm going to be giving this talk in its entirety for the folks at UX South Africa on this coming Thursday on November 11th. So uh, if you want to catch the whole talk uh, at one time, then uh, uh, 
chime in with us over there with the UX South Africa. But folks, that is all the time that we have for today. I'm enjoying sharing this with you. I love the feedback that I'm getting. I love interacting with everybody. Uh, uh, Thanks for your time and taking the time to listen to me today. Uh, Don't forget to reach out if you have any topics you'd like me to cover. But until next time, it is time to check out of here, folks. This is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX, signing off. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.